0: it's for some people they know what their passion is and they are happy to make financial sacrifices to make that happen other people they're choosing something not because it's really their passion but just because that's what's in front of them and they don't have enough information to recognize how many sacrifices they may be making to to take that particular choice and so i think um, you know, just like you think about you know, restaurants now providing calorie information along with their menu choices so that some people can say, oh, I had no idea that the drink I prefer but was avoiding because I thought it had more calories and it is actually not as bad as I thought, or vice versa. You know, I'd like to do the same thing with jobs where it's like if you, if you have a better sense of not just what they pay today but what your entire career path will look like when you make that sort of choice,
1: I think that can really help inform people. Hello, welcome back to I Want a Job, the podcast. If you are wondering what are the jobs of the future that are growing in size and with wage growth, and what majors will help to get you in the door? What careers are seeing the most demand? Terrace Sinclair, Senior Fellow Economist with Indeed and Associate Professor at George Washington University joins us today to talk about some of the hottest markets. Indeed is the number one job site worldwide with more than 180 million people using it each month to search for jobs. So Tara's job gives her amazing insights. Even if you have a dream job in mind, having backup plans, qualifications, knowledge within a growing industry could be a wise contingency plan. Tara also shares insights into some of the hottest markets, the gig economy, and why being labor literate is so important in our lives. And if you're stressing out about not knowing what to do or what path to take, We recommend the book, Designing Your Life, by Stanford professors Bill Burnett and Dave Evans to take some of the pressure off of making the one right decision. Today, over three-fourths of college grads don't work in a career of their major, and it also helps to remember, it's okay if you don't know what your passion is. A lot of people don't know. It's perfectly normal to be passionate about a lot of things. And I love this tip from Designing Your Life book you can detect passion by seeing what makes you feel energized and engaged and remembering that passion often follows mastery. And if you're enjoying our shows, please remember to subscribe to our email list at iwantajob.com for detailed show notes, links to everything that we discussed, and remember to subscribe on iTunes and we'd love if you could leave us a review. So here's Tara telling us about the types of projects she works on for Indeed. We get to
0: work on such a wide range of different research because we get to look at everything from what people are looking for for their jobs for today, what are happening in terms of jobs for tomorrow.
1: Exciting. And can you tell us about some of your recent research for high-potential jobs in the future and some of your findings?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so basically one of the key things that we were looking for you know, recent research was really to get a sense of what's happening in the labor market today and how uh, things are evolving. Because on the one hand, we look at, you know, the unemployment rate today is only 4.9%, and that sounds like a fantastic labor market to be in, and yet when you talk with people, there's a lot of sense that not all the job opportunities out there are really providing that satisfying, interesting, challenging, and high-paying kind of work that people are looking for. Um, And so... In some of our recent research, we dug in to look and see what the job opportunities are that are offering high pay as well as high raises, but also we were looking to see um, what kinds of requirements those jobs had and how could people prepare for them. And you know, One of the key things that we discovered is that it's actually a relatively small portion of jobs that people hold today are um those those high-paying and and high-raised jobs. We found that it was about only 15% of the labor market today. Um, But then when we look at job opportunities for the future, so we're looking at job postings um, on Indeed's website, it looks like it's much more. It's about 35%. Um, But in order to be able to get into those kinds of jobs, people have to have specialized skills and training. Um, And so that's where we really dug in to look more at uh, both you know, the importance of the college degree these days in the labor market. You know, we hear a lot about that, but it's really true. Uh, people really do uh, need a college degree for a lot of these jobs. And so that's about 75% of these you know, exciting job opportunities require a college degree. But a college degree doesn't guarantee you one of these jobs. In fact, uh, that was the other key piece of the research is that we saw that just because somebody has a college degree doesn't mean that that's going to buy them entry into the labor market of the future either. Uh, And that students that are choosing particular college degree paths are much better positioned than others. And not everybody is, you know, choosing the right career path, Um, at least if they're thinking in terms of getting a, a guaranteed job with you know,
1: high pay and and lots of raises. And this is such valuable advice. So can you tell us what might be some of the current cur- majors um, that would lead to getting into that that 35%?
0: Absolutely. So it, we hear this over and over again, but it's really true. It's the tech skills that really matter a lot in today's labor market. So the number one thing, uh, best fields of study according to our research is computer and information sciences. And what's really interesting about that, um, and and this is particularly important for for women, is that interest in that field, despite the fact that we're constantly talking about the importance of tech and the value of tech skills, um, interest hasn't been growing in that field nearly enough for um, college students. Um, And we're continuing to see challenges in terms of getting women to major in computer science, um, as well as in getting enough majors overall in that field.
1: Interesting. So, so what would be the the top? What would be the other, two other ones in the in the top?
0: Yeah. So the top three. So the other two. So engineering is number two. So very much related um, to computer science in ter- terms of tech skills. And then number three is architecture.
1: Interesting. I wouldn't. I, that would that one surprises me.
0: <laughs> Do yeah. You- yeah. Um, so if if you're thinking. Um, you know, in, in terms of you know, a, a clear career path, what, what happens is that there's a relatively small number of graduates in architecture, and yet there are lots of jobs in architecture.
1: Hmm. I wonder I've, I've heard it's a pretty grueling process, is that and, and sometimes I've heard the pay is not great coming out of it. Um, so when you do these studies, is it, is that does architecture fall under career growth and high amount uh, pay, pay growth also?
0: Yes, so architecture is one of the, the jobs that does pay enough on average and that has experienced uh, you know, relatively decent raises over the last several years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is true that you know, for um, you know, if, if a student's trying to decide between computer and science or engineering or architecture, it's true that they're going to get paid more straight out of school in the first two than in architecture. It, you know, architecture is definitely one of those ones where you start out lower, but then over your career lifetime, you do
1: well. Yeah. And that's really interesting because, I mean, if that's the case, people who are naturally drawn to the kind of the type of creativity and design, um, well, I mean, that's that's also available in computer science, but if they love that type of career path, that's great to know that it's growing. Um, and so for women who are past their college years and not going back to school, is there professional certificates or studies that you find are valuable in in getting those top career growth jobs?
0: Yeah, so that's one of the great things, you know, particularly when you're thinking about the number one, the computer and general tech jobs, is that there are now um, you know, all of these boot camps that are coming online that people can get training in somewhere between three and six months that will gain them entrance into some of these, these highly competitive, very uh, you know, very high-paying um uh, roles that otherwise might have been closed off to them. And so that's, that's really exciting that employers have recognized that they have such need for these sorts of, of workers that they're creating these new programs to jumpstart people.
1: So does that mean someone can bypass uh, the college degree in computer science and do a boot camp?
0: Well, it it is going to be two different roles. When you think about the fundamentals that people learn in a four-year program for computer science, that's very different than what you're going to be able to acquire in terms of very practical skills in three to six months. So it really does kind of depend on what point you are in your career and where where you want to be. Uh, So if you are... A young person who's trying to decide whether you go to college or go to a boot camp, I'm probably going to in general encourage people to do the the four years of college because they're going to get fundamentals that they're going to be able to build upon and learn from as they go throughout their career and as the world continues to change, they'll be able to build on that fundamental knowledge. If instead they're looking, you know, they're further on in their career and they're looking for some skills that will get them a good paying job right now without necessarily thinking about planning a very long career arc, then the boot camp might be right for them.
1: Yeah. And actually, I know some of the really um, respected and excellent boot camps require computer science degree also. (laughs) So another great reason to do it. And curious, um, do you see the workforce headed towards more freelancers? I've seen articles showing, predicting the workforce will become, you know, 40, I think 44% in the next few years. Do you have thoughts on the freelance economy?
0: Well, What's really interesting about the freelance economy is that, on the one hand, it's really pretty small today, but it does seem to be really changing the way that we're thinking about work opportunities in the future, and a lot of people really want that flexibility in their career. I, 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 myself, I'm a gig economy person. I have a, you know, a full-time role, but I also do work on the side. And so I really value that opportunity to do a range of different types of things. And I think there are lots of other people, particularly high-skilled people, who want to manage their career and have a range of experiences and opportunities and exchanges with with people in different arenas. But there's also the people um, that are finding themselves in the gig economy when they would prefer to have a more stable job. And I think we need to kind of separate those two different phenomena in the labor market today and treat them as separate, because I think they really are.
1: And I was thinking, on the flip side of majors, do you see any that are just oversaturated, where too many people are, are, you know, taking these paths and there's not enough jobs?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think it... The, you know, some of the, the key areas that we really see and is you know, people that are, uh, so if you think about the most popular fields of study just in general, um, you know, number one is business, um, and if that if you do that major by, by itself, uh, you may have a challenge finding a, a good-paying job with you know, lots of career growth. But if you combine that with some specific tech skills, then all of a sudden many doors are open to you. So it really depends on how you, you balance that. Uh, number two is health. And you know, health professions and related services is the second most popular field of study. And that one, again, it really depends on what specific things you specialize in because there's exploding demand for healthcare, care. Uh, we're seeing that from the retirement of the baby boomers and just in general, that seems to be where a lot of our, our incomes are being dedicated these days. We care a lot about improving and preserving our health. Um, but you know, some of those jobs are, you know, even though there's lots of demand for them, they're not well paid. And they mm-hmm. don't necessarily have great work environments. And that's something where, you know, if, if someone's specializing in nursing or, um you know, phlebotomy and and some of those specialized roles, they're going to make decent money and be able to to have some control over their hours and schedule. Um, But obviously, you know, home health aid and these sorts of roles, there's tons of demand for those, but they're not very well paid. And um, so that can be a a challenge. So it's it's very careful to think about, again, getting specialized skills that are going to make you part of that workforce that's in, in demand enough and, and their skills are appreciated enough to get that into those high paying and, and
1: high raise roles. Yeah. That's amazing insight. So would, would the nurse track be part of that explosive growth in healthcare roles?
0: Yes. Yeah, so nur- nurses are in, in high demand and you know, that's definitely an area where, um, you know, people can, um, in you know, particular if they do some of the more specialized nursing, can, can really get, um, into quite comfortable positions. Um, but one of the weird catch 22s with a lot of nursing is that you have to have a year of experience in a specialized role before you can get a job in that specialized role.
1: So how do people do it? (laughs) yeah so yeah. you
0: know oftentimes you have to find kind of a, a way into getting that specialization before you're actually getting credit or getting paid for it for a year or two um, and and so you know this often takes some networking in order to be able to get access you know to work work in a hospital where there's a lot of general nurse requirements but then you 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 ask for opportunities to do some of the more specialized nursing, you know, in, in terms, you know, working, you know, potentially extra hours filling in for people to get that experience and to, to qualify for getting promoted into those roles. Gotcha.
1: And so there's so much talk about the big data, like the industries that are coming up, the big data, virtual reality, genomics. Um, do you see those types of jobs appearing um, or yet <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yes so that's that's one of the really exciting things to watch on indeed and um, is the new jobs that are appearing and you think about um, one of my favorites is the Internet of Things uh, so if we look back on our job trends where we track those over time you know, back in 2012 it was flatlined at basically zero jobs in the Internet of Things and now today it's at over 10,000 job postings and it's climbing every every time I check it, it's climbed quite a bit more. And I I think it's really exciting to think about all these new technologies that are coming online that are creating completely new types of work and new job descriptions that are showing up every day.
1: Got it. And so for somebody who wants to position themselves for those roles, would computer science, do you think that would be the best entryway at this point?
0: Well, I, honestly, I think there's a, several different entry points. I mean, one is, uh, you know, obviously a computer science degree. There's a, a range of different opportunities from that degree. But also you know, having some fundamental technical skills. You know, as I, I always tell students in my um, college professor role to you know, take as much math as they can take, take as, as much computer programming as they can take, but then also take some creative classes, because that's the other piece of it, is there is this balance between tech skills and creative skills, because even computer programming itself is, you've got to be creative. There's a problem that hasn't been solved before, so you need to be creative to come at it it, with new insights, and with that sort of a skill set and combination, if you have that in the fundamentals, then hopefully whatever new jobs appear, they're going to be able to adjust their skill set for these new opportunities.
1: Yeah, and it's great for you to hear you say that because some women might be listening and thinking I'm too creative, I can't box myself into something that's, you know, engineering focused, but it really it does require design and creativity. So, I mean, you're a professor and you're recommending this, so it's great to hear it <laughs> from the expert. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. no, I, I think that's something that, that really gets overlooked, and I think it may be one reason why we do struggle to attract women into some of these more technical roles is that the the creativity aspect of it isn't promoted enough, and I think if we did a better job of letting people know how important it is to bring color to these, these codes, to these problems, uh, you know, i I hope that that would help develop and, and broaden the interest, you know, across a, a you know, much more diverse set of people than than what we see finding. You know, if we think about like the, the stereotypical Silicon Valley type examples.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, a lady we interviewed, Donna Sarkar, um, she's amazing. She wears a she works for Microsoft, but she um, also writes books and she designs clothes, and she's an engineering lead there. So I think those types of role models of women pursuing you know, technology with other interests, I think that is so motivating to know you can do it and they all blend together. So, um, I see you've done research on job tenure. Uh, do you have insights to share with us on what you've learned about how duration of employment is changing number of lifetime employers?
0: Yeah. Well, so job tenure is a really interesting one because on the one hand, um, people keep talking about how it, Young people today are such job hoppers and people say things like, oh, they're going to have nine different careers in their lifetimes and that sort of thing. But then on the other hand, some economic research suggests that actually conditional on their age, young people are less likely to move jobs than previous generations. And so there's kind of this this tension in the research between how much are people really moving jobs and changing jobs and how much of that is because of the workers' preferences versus how much is it that, you know, we had a really bad recession just a few years ago, and so a lot of people did find themselves either losing a job or taking a job that wasn't really a great fit for them, so they needed to move on. Uh, so there's there's a lot of, of, of things at play there. Um, but, you know, as we were talking earlier about the, the importance of the gig economy going forward, and there is a lot of evidence that, and um, you know, having people change jobs from time to time is healthy both for them as individuals they're more likely to get a higher raise when they change jobs than with when staying in the same with the same employer mm-hmm. and then also for the economy as a whole there's benefit in people churning around and so people moving from one company to another if if everybody stays in the same company for a lifetime that can lead to stagnation and not necessarily bringing that new those new insights and experiences from one company, bringing them over to another company, and you know, not not necessarily any you know um, proprietary information of those companies, but just you know the processes and the way that companies do things differ from place to place, and it can be really good to bring in that
1: fresh information and, and new new ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And so you have such a you know unique position and so much insight into what's happening with the labor markets, economics, and as a professor of economics, if you had a magic wand and you could change something about education, what, what would you do? Well, I, I think really, I I,
0: I, if I had this magic wand, I would definitely (laughs) want to think about it more than, than what I'm thinking about right now. But my, my first instinct, if I was given a magic wand and told, you know, I have five minutes to try and improve education, (laughs) um, I I really think it would be to give people more fundamental skills so that they learn how to learn, so they can build their lifetime skill set, because I think that jobs 20 years from now may look completely different than jobs today, and I worry that we're putting too much pressure on young people, on employers, and on educational institutions to prepare people for the jobs of today. And I want to find a way to prepare people for the jobs of tomorrow and next year and 20 years from now and 40 years from now. And in order to do that, I think we've got to give people that flexibility and that adaptability because I think the jobs are going to be really different.
1: Do you, do you have any idea how?
0: Well, from what we've seen in terms of the evolution of the job market lately, it really has been having that combination of of technical backgrounds, so the ability to do math, to think about coding problems on, on computers, and uh, think about some engineering problems, but also, again, that that creativity, having some some writing skills, and then the all-important you know, interpersonal communication skills, you know, the ability to network and develop relationships so that you have people to learn from, I think is really
1: key as well. And that leads into my next question. I was going to ask... Uh, how- are you optimistic about the labor market within the next um, three to five years? Is that is that a question you can answer? <laughs> Absolutely. No,
0: I, I I do remain pretty optimistic about the labor market uh, for the the, the mid range three to five years. Uh, seems seems reasonable. I. I I study business cycles. I understand that we had a really horrific recession. It's taken a long time to recover. I hope that we have a few years before we face another one. We will face another recession again at some point. I think people need to be thinking about that and, and preparing themselves for for that eventuality. But there also look like great opportunities in labor market right now and continued opportunities for growth. Uh, so I'm not seeing any... Obvious dark clouds hanging right on the horizon,
1: and and how about making yourself recession proof? Is it possible? Like, I, I think you know, based on what we've been talking about, is making sure you're set up for those jobs that are going to keep hiring, which would be probably computer engineering. Is that right? Well, so what's
0: interesting is that so definitely what we saw in the last recession was that and tech jobs, uh, particularly if you had um, you know, some of the, the the more fundamental skill sets. In, in tech, those were pretty resilient. There is some concern uh, that we may hit a point where where tech sees a downturn, and so I think we can't count on any particular industry being resilient forever. Um, but again, I think that ability to adapt and the, and having skills, and I do think tech skills are going to continue to be important in our economy, and we're using technology to have this podcast conversation. Um, you know, technology is just infiltrating all parts of our lives. And I think being, being comfortable with it and being able to use it across a, a range of different tasks is going to continue to pay off in the labor market. Um, but you know, I think also we need to recognize that you know, sometimes even for the best-prepared individuals, there might be a downturn that will, will affect them. And I think it's important to keep that in mind both in terms of financial planning for, your, for yourself, but also uh, in terms of appreciating others' hardships. Uh, because one thing that we've definitely seen is that there's been a challenge for some employers to hire people who've had an unemployment spell, and oftentimes those people are just as qualified for the roles as other people, and they may be being discriminated
1: against. Got it. And I was going to ask about any other interesting trends you notice in the labor markets. And that's a good one to talk about. Um, Do you look at, you know, how often people get jobs when they have gaps or any kind of other trends like that that are interesting to job seekers?
0: Yeah, well, so I I haven't personally done research on on this. um, But one of the interesting things that I've been I've been watching other people's research on uh, has been um, you know, these sorts of resume studies where they've looked at um, you know, sending em- employers dummy resumes, and of course, I would I would never mm-hmm. do that to to our employers. You know, they're they're you know, um, they're important to Indeed, and I don't want to. Um, it's in you know, the name of research. research. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but in, in the name of research, other people have done this, and it's really insightful and interesting research. Um, where they they've sent resumes, and and this is one thing where we. We do continue to see these, these sorts of concerns that um, you know, people who have more than a six-month uh, unemployment spell on, on their resumes, it does seem like they're having a much more difficult time getting hired. And um, you know, it does seem like employers are using that as a signal of quality. And that, that might be um, you know, a potentially good rule of thumb for some employers but it does mean that particularly if they're challenged in filling a role, they might be missing out on some good
1: people too. Got it. Makes sense. Are there industries or career paths that are interesting to you, but they're still early stage, so not appear- they're not appearing on the top ten lists? Um, well that's a great
0: question. I well, so I, I have to actually do a, a you know, kind of a, a shout out to my own field of of economics that isn't showing up on the top ten list, although um It is one where um, we do get to do a little bit of everything. Um, You know, it is a fairly as one of the social sciences. It's a fairly popular major, Um, but when combined with some technical skills, particularly some additional statistics classes or computer programming classes, you know, economists get to do everything from work with big data um, in, in a corporate environment to public policy conversations to you know, working at universities. And so for, for me, when I was doing that cost benefit analysis, trying to decide what I wanted to uh, invest in for my career, it really seemed like a great opportunity to study people, uh, but also have a lot of doors open to me in terms of future career paths, which
1: I've, I've been able to take a number of them. I love that. And I never thought about that as an economist role, but what you just described sounds absolutely fascinating. And do you work with data scientists or how, tell us about a typical day um, in your life. Well,
0: that's, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. very tricky to describe a typical day for me. Um, but um, a, a typical day when I'm working at Indeed, for example, um, will involve um, meeting with data scientists about some of their projects and then seeing if, there might be an opportunity either for me to give them feedback and insights from what I know from economic research or um, it, sometimes I take some of their experiments that they're, they're doing on the Indeed site and see if I can actually use that as information to share with job seekers about things we're learning, about how employers are using our site or how other job seekers are using our site. Um, and then you know I'll get to go into design meetings where I'll look at um, what our design team is is doing for representing this information and sharing it with the world. Um, and then I, I may go and, and give feedback on a, you know, a new product that we're considering using. Um, and So you get to work with just a range of different people. And then I can spend some time um, you know, sitting quietly at a desk writing R code and and
1: um, you know, digging around in data, I I love your job, and um <laughs> actually I do. I what you describe sounds so fun and stimulating, and I'm curious, what about the data data scientist career path? Because I know that was growing a lot. Do you still see that as a as a solid move? Data science is growing a lot. It has slowed down somewhat
0: from um you know when it was the hottest career path a couple years ago, um but it's. There's still tons of opportunities for, for people in data science. You know, for, for a while, it was very much every company had to have a data scientist. And, um, you know, and, and then, of course, some companies had to have many of them. Uh, now, I think it has become a little bit more focused where it's really important that somebody not just have data science skills, but that they can really show how that's going to be, the, the type of analysis they're doing, how it's going to be relevant for the company. Uh, and so, again, data science combined with some business skills so that they can uh, write out some evidence of the contribution that they're making with their analysis is really key today. So industry expertise, is that what you're referring to? But, but potentially industry ex- expertise, but also potentially um, you know, the, you know, the, the the training you get from some business courses where you learn how to – uh, write out uh, a business case for certain types of work um, and and proposals for analysis and that sort of thing. Because it, it was a couple of years ago, if you had a bunch of statistics skills, it was great. Here's some data, go do some statisticky things with it. <laughs> um, and and now employers are saying, okay, what are these statisticy things, and can you explain to us what this means and how we as a business can act on
1: it? Got it. Mm-hmm. More consulting kind. Um, right. So. You know it seems to me you have so much to play with in your role. What gets you most excited when you think about the work you're doing for indeed like within the next six months, like any opportunities that you just really want to tackle? Oh, there's
0: so many, but I think you know the the big thing that i'm I'm trying to tackle right now is coming up with just better measures of what's happening in the labor market now, and you know, and poten- potentially some prediction models for what's going to be happening in the near future. You know, as I was saying earlier, with uh, government data, it's so much backward-looking, and it's so much based on definitions from the 1940s and 50s that this opportunity to potentially just start with a clean slate and say, okay, the modern labor market is so different then back in the 1940s, you know, back in the 1940s, you know, we were still much more of an agricultural and manufacturing economy than we are today. And you know, now, you know, services so dominates. But thinking about what services are, how you measure them, what what do you call a job? You know, and, and then, of course, how does that interface with uh, the changing structure of work? How do we measure that in a meaningful way that is is helpful for people when they're trying to think about what their career should be what their next move should be uh, that's that sort of of measure and then sharing that information with the world is what really excites me
1: yeah totally and then when you you know what we were talking about in the beginning about the the majors the course of studies to take do you feel like you're able to share that um, to the level that you want? Because I feel like people should know that information. Do you feel that there's enough publicity and, sh- and you're able to share it with, you know, the nation?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Indeed and the Indeed Hiring Lab is, is a great place to share these sorts of insights. Um, but is, so my own view is that just as we've talked a lot about helping develop people's financial literacy, one thing that we, we haven't, I think, focused on enough is individuals' labor market literacy. And that's really kind of my my big thing going forward is finding ways to help develop that literacy and it, help people to make informed decisions. Uh, because it's for some people, they know what their passion is and they are happy to make financial sacrifices to make that happen. Other people, they're choosing something not because it's really their passion, but just because that's what's in front of them and they don't have enough information to recognize how many sacrifices they may be making to, to take that particular choice. And so I think um, you know, just like you think about you know, restaurants now providing calorie information along with their menu choices so that some people can say, oh, I had no idea that the drink I prefer but was avoiding because I thought it had more calories and it is actually not as bad as I thought or vice versa. You know, I'd like to do the same thing with jobs, where it's like, if you, if you have a better sense of not just what they pay today, but what your entire career path will look like when you make that sort of choice, I think that can really help inform people.
1: I love that idea. And do you have any ideas for the sorts of channels or how you would distribute that so that people would be aware and have that labor literacy?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, through the Indeed Hiring Lab, we're trying to get that information out through our blog posts and our research reports. Um, And and then, of course, we also have from our public analytics pages, we have, uh, you know, a a lot of information right on the Indeed website that gives people information uh, about recent trends in both job postings from the employer side as well as what other job seekers are looking at because, you know, there are some areas that might be really hot, uh, but they might be hot both on the employer and the job seeker side, which might suggest that there's a lot of competition for those roles, even if there's a lot of opportunities, whereas in other areas, you can see that there's not nearly as much competition. So if um, you know, people can go directly on the site, it's just indeed.com slash job trends, and people can enter in different keywords and see what those patterns look like and, and develop some of that, that insight for themselves.
1: Excellent. So let's talk a little bit more about you and um, how your early influences and how, what, uh, what influenced you most and led you down to the path that you are on today. Sure. Well, and I took a relatively
0: unusual path. Um, I didn't actually take an economics class until my senior year of college um, and then immediately fell in love with the field. I had no idea that economics was studying people. I always thought it was like accounting or money or something like that. And then the minute I I took a course and realized, no, this is about people making choices, I I realized that that was really something I was quite passionate about. Um, But and graduated from college and then went off into the working world for a while and found myself on an airplane doing a cost-benefit analysis because I was thinking about wanting to go back to school and trying to decide what I should study and um, you know, started doing some some research on you know different fields and and I was doing exactly the kind of research that you know, we were now doing in these hiring lab reports where I was I was looking at okay here are the different salaries for these different jobs and what kinds of opportunities could I have if I went and did an economics degree, um, and you know, and eventually decided to go ahead and get a Ph.D. in economics, um, and then I, I followed the fairly traditional path of doing the Ph.D. and becoming a professor, and, you know, and I love being a professor, but I also thought it was really important that in order to really anchor my research and my teaching, I, I needed real-world insights. I, I wanted a connection with um, the, the working world. And when I saw this opportunity to work with Indeed, um, it was just you know, the, the, a dream come true because they have amazing data about the working world. And then I get opportunities to talk to employers and job seekers directly about their experiences in the labor market today. Plus, I'm working at a wonderful company that is growing like gangbusters. And so I get that working
1: world experience for myself as well. It's an amazing combination. And tell us um, about... So you've had great career success. Obviously, you seems like work ethic, study skills, those kinds of things probably are something you've mastered. Can you tell us a little bit more about your daily practices, mindset, or maybe some philosophies that have also led to your success?
0: Well, I think one thing that I... I'm very aware of is that I personally really enjoy work Uh, and I enjoy work across a range of different types of of work. It's basically I I find doing something and accomplishing it very rewarding. And I recognize that not everybody feels that same way. Um, And I'm always looking for ways, you know, when I think about it for my students in particular, finding ways to cultivate that just enjoyment of work. Because I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from in me, but it does definitely make my life easier um, by, by just enjoying it. But I also think it's important to kind of structure your day around the ways that you're most productive. Um, you know, I often think about how I go to the gym, for example. So I am a group fitness class person. I need to go to the gym and have you know, people around me and an instructor telling me what to do. And I, I know that I could just you know, watch videos online and do the exercise that way. But I, I just know myself well enough to know that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you know, knowing yourself and exploring these different things and, and and recognizing what kinds of incentives you need to set up for yourself to be successful are really important.
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, what about any mantras or rules you live by?
0: Um, I mean, I, I guess actually, um. I guess I have kind of two. So so for myself, I, I often, you know, I can get stressed out. Just I think anybody else can as, as well. When, when you're know, trying to do a, a good job at work, um, I often back up when I'm thinking, oh, I'm not doing this perfectly. Or, you know, you can be a perfectionist about things. And anyway, I, I try and think about you know, the reason I'm trying to do a good job at something. It, it's not for myself. It's it's for the other people. So if I'm going to give a presentation I want to do a good job because I want it to be beneficial to them. And that, that idea of being good to others I think is, is a really important mindset to to both dial down the stress and the pressure um, but, but also make it very much focused on other people um, rather than you know, being like, oh, people will think I am dumb if I do a bad presentation. Well, that doesn't matter. What matters is trying to give them something useful with for, for when they walk away.
1: I love that. Um, yeah, people usually focus on themselves. Like I'm not good enough. This isn't good enough. I love that approach is um, you read or you, I mean, I'm sure it's so many that you use to get better at your job, but any that you would point other people to around, um, job growth, labor markets, or, um, you can talk about books that you've loved and made an impact yeah
0: well, um so uh, being an economist, this might be a bit of a cliche, but The Economist magazine is still just my favorite weekly read. Um, it It really makes me happy um, and and then the the other thing that I, I really enjoy that I, I think maybe people outside of the you know, the wonky economist world they not may not see, see so much is so the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta has, um, a blog called Macro Blog. Um, but even though it's Macro Blog, they actually, because they have some really good labor economists there, they often, um, put some really accessible analysis about what's going on in the labor market with just a couple of graphs, um, and some really insightful discussion there. Um, so that's, that's another thing that I, whenever I see that they've got a new blog post, uh, I, I get excited because they're so insightful.
1: Got it. And you know, I read The Economist for ten years, and I could never finish the entire uh, issue. And I'm curious, do you finish the entire thing?
0: <laughs> no, I, I don't. So I am one of those people. I look at every page, um, and you know, of course, now I read it on my iPads. There's lots of just swiping past various articles. Um, as I'm skimming through but I do really enjoy reading every title and subtitle they're so clever particularly those little subtitles that they put in there that you know sometimes I'll, I'll read a whole article that I wouldn't have otherwise picked just because it, the
1: subtitle made me laugh but I, I usually would skip the in-depth economic analysis which I'm sure you're on I always started from the back where they had the obituary with the most fascinating people and then the books <laughs> <starts> entertaining. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I think the science and technology in the book section is actually my two favorite sections of the Economist magazine. And in fact, I'm one of those people at parties where, you know, when you're doing that small talk, sharing of interesting things you've learned recently, I'll almost always be like, well, I was reading the other day something about this new scientific discovery, and I'm always (laughs) quoting last week's Economist magazine,
1: and some people will call me out on it. (laughs) I do that too, which makes me think I should resubscribe. It was just this pressure of not finishing them. But Quick, another quick question um, are there any other causes that where you'd want to be involved if you had the time any other causes
0: um, oh so many um, I mean I think you know one thing within the labor market that I'm deeply con- concerned about is giving people second chances to get to get into uh, the the working world um, you know everybody from you know, people who have a uh, felony conviction, um, you know, perhaps even prison time in their past, uh, but you know, want to get back into the working world. They face so many challenges. Um, you know, it's still the case that women who step out and um, you know, care for their children for you know even a relatively brief period of time still find it difficult to re-enter. Uh, and, and then people that maybe just didn't take school that seriously when they are younger, um, but would really like to you know, in, invest in in themselves later on in life. It can be so challenging to, you know, find an on-ramp into a good career later on in life. And that's that's something I'd really like to find a way to help people more with that.
1: I love that one. And we have a series on women who are re-entering the workforce and also on recidivism rates. And so I hope that hiring managers who are listening have an open mind. And it's coming from you and a, an expert Do you uh <laughs> What do you think would change um, mindsets or what would cause a trigger in that to, yeah, to change the trajectory of where it's going right now? Well,
0: so I get, you know, I'm, I'm based here in Washington, D.C., and so I get asked a lot about what public policies could you know, potentially help with this. And, you know, my big thing is really I want to give more bargaining power to workers and one way to do that is to just have a very, very robust economy generally. Um, so it, you know, unfortunately, things often backfire when um, you know, we, we put in very specific policies to try and help one group. It ends up hurting another group and that sort of thing. But if we can have an economy where you know, there is so much demand for various products that employers are uh, just fighting over workers, that gives workers power to negotiate for things that they need and also incentives for employers to look at more non-traditional candidates to fill their roles. Um, And so that's really what I'm hoping that we're going to see over the next several years is we've had this long, slow recovery from a deep recession, but maybe now we're getting close to the point where we're going to see employers going out there and and really battling it
1: out for workers. I love that. Um, anything else you'd like to share with us uh, before we end our call? Um, I think basically,
0: um, you know, just so emphasizing that uh, Sinclair, the the hiring lab we're to have you with growing you. really quickly, and we're doing um, a lot I mean, more research the the on the, the labor market and generally, and really and watching a lot of events in in the labor market really carefully. Um, so I'm looking forward to having a lot more information um, out on. Indeed's oh, we website to and on our blog at blog.indeed.com um, and also from, we'd love to share with you more
1: insights we as we get them. Thank you so and much and job, if you have the time we would love to have you on in six months. I, I think tomorrow. the information you provide is just so valuable so Exciting. thank you. you Great, right, well thank you. Your recent research for high we hope you enjoyed today's show. If you haven't already please remember comments. to subscribe on iTunes, yeah. sign up for our newsletter at Iwantherjob.com We have detailed show notes where you can link back to every that we discuss on each show and we would love if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time.